out of the grave. You call me into the light. You call my name and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. And even from the back, I can hear your voices ringing out about this incredible, unfathomable love. And that's exactly what it is for me this morning, is this unfathomable love that I'm like, I'm so frustrated because I can't express how I feel about this. I don't know if anybody else is with me. That's right. I mean, it's unfathomable, God's glory is. God's love is unfathomable. That's what we are here for. We're here to give God glory because of his love for us, but I'm frustrated. Because it's like, I mean, it's like I talked a few weeks ago about how when I look at my kids, I love them so much, I just want to eat them, like literally take a bite out of them. You ever been there? If you don't have kids, you haven't been there. The day's coming. It sounds weird. But it's like that. I don't know how to express myself. I'm like, no. Yeah, me. You can't love me. Even getting ready to preach this message this week. It's like, what? what? You lo- I'm like insecure crazy man sometimes in my head like thinking how can you possibly love me past what goes on in my head and so I'm frustrated but it's that frustration with the fact that there is no human way to express how much the God of the universe loves us that makes it so beautiful that makes the fact that he loves me beyond my insecurities, that he loves me beyond my sin, that he has forgiven my sin, that he's taken it away from me, and yet I feel the weight of it. And so there's this tension in me right now, (laughs) but it's a good tension because I feel so heavy with the fact that I can't express my feelings, but so free and so light with the fact that God looks past all of it, the cross of Christ. And he says, you are covered with the blood of my son Jesus. So be free, my child. Be free. So let's pray together and just ask God that somehow this morning we would be able to, in our humanness, through the Holy Spirit of God, that he would reveal to us his love for us and that somehow we'd be able to grasp even just a little bit of it. So let's pray together. God, I do feel like a tree bending from the weight of your love this morning. I mean, we've only just begun to sing and to praise and to worship you this morning. And when your people worship you, you go before them and you fight for them. God, I pray that in your spirit you would reveal truth to us and that you would fight for our souls. God, that you would show us even a little glimpse of who we are to you. That you look past our worthlessness. That you look past our insecurities. That you look past our sin. That you look past our confusion in this life. And you say, you can be my child. And I love you no matter what you do. And there's no possible way that you could ever love us more than you do right now or any less than you do right now. So God, somehow, in your spirit, reveal to us a little bit of your love this morning. God, and if anybody is in here in this room this morning that has never come to Jesus and said, I receive that love, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and they have received salvation in Jesus' name, God, I pray 
that you would bend them under the weight of your love so much this morning that they would not be able to leave without receiving the freedom that only comes from Jesus' name. It is all that matters in this life is what we do with Jesus and the unfathomable love that he has for us. Because that is freedom and that is abundance and I can be joyful no matter what my situation with the name of Jesus written on my heart. So God, we are here as humble people this morning. Reveal to us your truth. Reveal to us your love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Happy Easter. We're glad that you are here. We're glad that you're here. I'm seriously, I don't say that. I look around and I see a lot of faces I don't know. I'm glad you're here. And if I don't get to meet you today, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I know and I hope that somebody from this church does meet you and that you feel welcome uh, and that you, from our love for you, feel the love of Jesus. Um, our, our, our mission statement here at Creekside is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the year 2016, that is, uh, that is coming out in the phrase, occupy your street. And we define your street as where you live, literally your neighbors, but where you work, where you get your hair cut, where you work out, where you go to a restaurant frequently, where you go to get coffee, whatever you do on a regular basis, that's your street. And the challenge is that we have been loved by an almighty God, so what do we want to do? We want to occupy that street with the gospel. We want to occupy that street with the love of Jesus, no matter who we run into. And the Bible defines our neighbor as everyone that we run into, everyone that we meet. I want to read to you a little storyline, and so you can either follow it on the screen or you can just close your eyes and listen. Sunday, March 20th, and they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus had said to them, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Thursday, March 24th. And he came out, and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when they came to the place, he said to them, Pray, so that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. And when he rose, he prayed from his prayer. He came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he rose and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Friday, March 25th. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to call this whole Worship, singing together, hearing a message, being in fellowship with people. This whole experience this morning we are calling the invitation to love. Because get this, everything that we do here at Creekside points back to the love that Jesus has for us. Everything is about Jesus. A little less than a week before the same crowds that cried out for Jesus' crucifixion. You heard it yesterday. The same crowds that cried out, beat him, punish him, 
because he is blasphemous for claiming to be the Son of God, they then cried out, crucify him. The same crowds that called for his crucifixion less than a week before were laying their cloaks on the ground and worshiping this Jesus and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How does that happen in one week? The word Hosanna literally means, in the original language, it means save now. You see, the Jewish nation at that time was under Roman rule. Roman rule. I did that when I practiced too. It's hard to say those two words together. You try it. Don't make fun of me. All right? Roman rule. They were under Roman rule and oppression. But here's the thing. They did see Jesus as their Messiah at the beginning of the week. They saw him as their Messiah. They saw him as their king. They wanted Jesus to literally come and reign on the throne in Jerusalem and save them from Roman rule. Within a week, they came to realize this dude is nuts, man. This isn't his mission at all. He's not here to reign as king. He's here to die. I literally think this man wants to die. He's nuts. He's claiming to be the son of God. And we don't think, Jesus, that you have any power to reign on that throne. Because most of Rome hates you. And your own Jewish people hate you. And within a week, they go from calling for him to be their king to calling for his crucifixion. On Sunday, he receives a king's welcome into Jerusalem, and on Thursday, he is begging his father to let, if there is any possible other way to accomplish their salvation. And when he says there, he means you, and he means me, and he means every human being that has ever walked this earth. If there's any other way to accomplish their salvation, God, tell me now. Because I don't want to do this. But I want to do what you want, Father. I will obey your will. And here's the deal. I can imagine that Jesus at that time would have much rather just become their physical king. You know what I'm saying? Because he knows that there is a day coming. Guess what? Jesus is coming back. And before Jesus died on the cross, I mean, he himself prophesied to his disciples. They didn't understand it at the time. But he said, the Son of Man must go and suffer at the hands of Gentiles. He's going to be killed. And then three days later, he's going to rise again. Jesus knew that he was coming back to life. But he also knew before that he would have to suffer immeasurably for your sin and for my sin. But he also knew what was coming And what the people were calling for was a literal Jesus on the throne kingdom. And guess what? That is coming. And Jesus is coming back. And someday when he comes back, no more pain, no more suffering, living in a kingdom that is perfect. Can you imagine that? Guess what? You can't. You can't. There is no imagining that because we don't have that to compare anything in life to because it is far better than anything we have ever experienced. And I can imagine that Jesus is just thinking, God, why can I not just skip all the rest of this? He would have loved to become king in Israel at that time, but he yielded to his father's will. So what was Jesus' mission and what was it that held Jesus to his mission. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, lay us, let us lay aside every weight. Do you remember a few weeks ago, I don't know, probably a month ago or so, that Tim spoke a message and he talked about the fact that we have this backpack that is just full of stones and bricks and weight. It's full of our shame. It's full of our sin. And what Jesus did on the cross was to say, in Matthew, he says, 
Lay your burden on me. Take mine because mine is light. So it's like us taking off that backpack, laying it on Jesus, and then him giving us his light burden. It is easy and it is light. It goes on to say, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Why? Here's why. Who, Jesus, who for the joy, it's crazy to me, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What? Joy held him on the cross? The criminals on the cross, one on his right and one on his left, said, if you were the son of God, why not bring yourself down from the cross? And guess what? Save us too. I, I don't know what Jesus was thinking. If I was Jesus, and I'm not, but I, I'm sinful, Jesus, now I would have been thinking, heck no, I ain't saving you. You are sinners. I'm not. Jesus had every right to save himself. Jesus had every right to bring himself down off the cross. But he didn't. Why? Because of joy. The first Part of joy that held Jesus on the cross was this. Plain and simple, he wanted to obey his Father. Jesus' mission, even above anything else, was to be obedient and honor and glorify his Father in heaven. But get this, the number two reason for joy that held Jesus on the cross was you. And was me. And you may be in here today, and you've been saved for a long time. You, you've had a relationship with Jesus for a long time. Let me say that again. The joy that held Jesus on the cross was you. Do you get that? If you were the only person on the planet, I know there's a lot of people in this room today, including myself. I've felt this a lot this week. I'm not worthy. Like, who am I that Jesus would love me? I know my own heart. I know my own mind. Who am I that Jesus would do this for me? But I'm telling you, if you were the only person on the planet that Jesus had ever created, He's so much. John 3.16, I've said this before. He so loved the world. He so loved you as an individual. He would have done it anyway. Jesus would have gone through the same pain and suffering on the cross for the joy of your salvation. I want you to think, think about this. The people expected at that time, for Jesus to come and be their king and to fulfill all their earthly desires for comfort, for freedom, for a kingdom on earth where they could be comfortable, where they could not be suffering, right? But Jesus was interested in so much more. The mission of Jesus was so much deeper than the surface than what people live like, than what your home looks like, than what your car that you drive is, than what your clothes look like, than what your face looks like, than what your hair looks like, than what your body looks like, than how many friends you have. Jesus is always and only after your heart. He is always only after your soul. The mission was the freedom and the salvation of our souls. But here's the deal, especially, especially in America, we live just like those people who wanted Jesus to be their king right then, who wanted Jesus to give them what they were asking for physically on earth. Because so often we pray, like, God, do this for me. Like, God, give me this. <laughs> like, God, if only, if only 
I could get to this point, then this point, then this point, and it's never enough. And then somehow, when God does not do those things for us on the physical surface level, we jump ship. And what do we do? We go in less than a week's time <laughs> saying, God, I believe you're powerful enough to give me what I want. But when you don't, crucify him. Just got really loud. But that was appropriate. That was appropriate. Thank you, God. Because that's probably what it sounded like. Right? Literally, we go from God, I believe you're powerful enough to give me this, to crucify him. In so little time, I want to share some statistics with you. And these are a little bit disturbing. And they break my heart. But I want you to see that external circumstances have nothing to do with what our real problem is. External circumstances have nothing to do with what our real need is. I want to share some statistics with you about human trafficking and about uh, orphans and foster children. Because in my mind, I can't think of a group of people that must feel more empty and more unwanted. So listen. Children exploited through prostitution report that typically they are given a quota by their trafficker of 10 to 15 buyers per night. Utilizing a conservative est estimate, a domestic minor trafficking victim would be raped by 6,000 buyers in their victimization through prostitution. That came from the National Report on Domestic Minor Sex Trafficking. And they define the victims of these crimes literally as slaves, that these people are slaves. Estimates from the 2010 Trafficking in Persons Report by the U.S. Department of State says this, the number of slaves around the world is 12.3 million. The, percentages, the percentage of victims identified is 0.4%. That's less than 1% of that 12.3 million people actually have a name. Guess what? They know their name. But no one else does. Literally, they are money in somebody's pocket. That's it. The ratio of convicted offenders to victims identified is 8.5 to 100, which means for every 100 victims even given a name, that's 0.4%, <laughs> only 8.5 offenders are identified, which means this problem is not going to be solved. There are roughly 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system. Of that number, approximately 100,000 are waiting to be adopted. Of the children waiting in foster care, 30,000 of them, 30,000 of them in the U.S. age out every year without families. Imagine what that feels like. Asia is the home to the largest number of orphan children in the world. 60 million orphan children. On average, more than 250,000 children in the U.S. enter the foster care system each year. Out, one of, out of every four foster children is available for adoption, but sadly, each year, more than 30,000 children age out, that's around the age of 18, without being adopted. The outlook for foster youth who age out of the system is dire. Studies show that one in four will be incarcerated within two years of leaving the system, and over one-fifth will become homeless at some, at some time after age 18. In addition, only 58% obtain their high school diploma by age 19 compared to the national average of 87% for non-foster youth. These things are horrible. I hate, I absolutely hate that those statistics exist in our world. 
and I really wish I could do something about it. I just don't know what to do. So maybe when I find out, I'll do something. Right? So if you, if you know how to help that situation, let me know. Because that's ridiculous. But the point of the matter is that at my core, at your core, deep down in my heart, I'm the same. You are the same. I can only even try to imagine the worthlessness and the emptiness felt by someone in their shoes. I can't. But the reality is that our heart need inside of every single person goes so much deeper than our external situation than our external circumstances. So we are all the same. Famous actors and actresses are overdosing and committing suicide on drugs. The suicide rate for the upper class and the lower class alike are rising. And get this, through Facebook and other media outlets, we have more friends than we have ever had Ever, and we are more lonely than we have ever been. Ever. We tend to judge, and I do this, we tend to judge a good day on how many likes my post got that day, right? On how many reshares I got in a post. Like literally, when Javier and I started the, the preacher and the gym guy, I would walk in to the gym um, in the Farrells, and he'd be sitting there in his desk at the front. Desk And when we, like, the, I'm serious, the first few videos that we posted, we'd walk in and we'd both shout out a number. And that number was, I mean, we had a little competition going on, like, who got more, more of a reach on Facebook than the other one? And we just shout out a number. And for the first, like, two videos, he beat me. No more. No more. Now I feel good. I still check that. I'm like, as long as I got more shares and more like likes and all that stuff than Javier did, I'm good. I'm good. That's what we do. If someone defriends me or unfollows me on Facebook, I automatically feel worthless. Like, there must be something wrong with me. Why did he unfriend me? It's Facebook. My own, the problem with it is my own mundane, everyday life. When I go on Facebook, I'm comparing my everyday to everyone else's highlight reel. You get how ridiculous that is? The point here is not to downplay any issue or tragedy in someone's life. It's not to say, compare your life to that person. Your life's not so bad. It's not to say my life is better or worse than anyone else. The point is that every single person in this room, you need to make this personal. Every single person in this room, every single person that ever walked the face of the earth has the same need to be loved and to love deeply. To be known and to know deeply. This is why no amount of money, no amount of pursuit outside of God, nothing on this earth will ever comfort us or bring real freedom to this life. Cool thing happened this last week. I was reading the Bible to my kids at night, and it was from 1 John all about the love of God that he has for us. And Micaiah stops me halfway through, and he goes, hey, Dad. And he starts chuckling because I know he feels a little embarrassed about this story. And he says, hey, Dad, and even after he told me this story, he was like, Dad, are you going to share that at church? I was like, sure, I will, Makai, because it fits. And he says, they have these, their two best friends in our neighborhood are right down the street from us. And uh, they had these kids over. And so Makai tells me the story. He's like, hey, Dad, the, the other day, Mark um, turned to the girl and said, I love you as we were leaving. She said, I love you. And the girl turned back to Margo and was like, what? what? Like, 
people don't expect to be told, I love you, especially from a kid, right? And then Micaiah, he turns to the, to the boy, and he says, he says the kid's name, he says, I love you in Christ, right? And Micaiah told me that story, and I immediately, my heart was like, oh, Micaiah, don't be that kid, man. Don't, don't be the dork that to people. Come on. But I didn't say that to him. I felt inside, I am so proud that my kids know that what relationship is all about is the fact that I can get to the point with somebody else, even if it's a kid, to where I can say, I love you. And you know what? I really, truly believe for my kids that they love their neighbors because they have been taught this is what you are built for. This is what the longest, the, the deepest longing of your heart is, is to be loved, is to be known. And so however dorky that is, I need to learn from my kids to tell people who I really love, I love you. Because I can tell you this, the majority of my Facebook friends I'm not really to the I love you out publicly in Christ kind of thing yet, right? Most of them are just acquaintances. Some of them are people who I had friends in high school. I, I really honestly do not remember who they are. But they friend me, and I'm like, I better friend them in case I ever go back to Connecticut and they see me in real life and say, hey, your kids, and they name all my kids. I'm like, hi, who are you? Sorry. Just, just a thing. Life is not boiled down to if I get this, if I can make that much money, if I marry this person, if I have this job, if I live in this neighborhood, if I have this car, if this, if this, if this, then this. That's not what it boils down to. John 10.10 says, the thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal to kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Heather shared with me um, uh, a couple months ago um, from a book called Grace-Based Parenting. And there's a part in there that talks about that everyone is born with some basic needs. One of those needs was along the lines of love. And the next part of the book said, and guess what? Satan will do his very best to fulfill those needs in counterfeit ways. Guess what? Before Satan fell from heaven, he was beautiful. He was one of the most beautiful angels. And he thought that he could be higher and more powerful and better than God, and God said no. And he cast him out of heaven. But guess what? Satan knows what beautiful looks like. And Satan knows how to fulfill your every single need and he will always only do it by lying to you and telling you that you need this 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 and guess what none of that however good it looks will ever satisfy your heart and your longest and your and your deepest longing the abundant life that Jesus offers is completely disconnected from our physical circumstance it has everything to do with the condition of my heart that's why Kids in third world countries, kids living in Calcutta can run around and kick a soccer ball with more joy than I could experience in a lifetime because they know joy has nothing to do with my external circumstances. It has everything to do with what is inside. That's why Jesus could hang on the cross being crucified for your sins, for my sins, and say joy is going to hold me here because joy goes so much beyond, further than my external circumstances. Do you get what I'm saying? Your need is so much greater than what you can see in this life. 1 John 3.16 says this, and this is how we know what love is. That Jesus laid down his life for us. None of my Facebook friends, a very small percentage of people in my life, are at die for status. <laughs> right? God does everything perfectly. God loves perfectly. And I want you to get a little glimpse from what I'm about to read to you 
of what that love looks like. Because you feel like, oh yeah, I love this person, I love this person, I love this person, I love this person. We're always trying to get something out of our relationships with the people around us, right? But every person on the planet will always fail you, no matter what. Maybe they won't always fail you, but they will fail you eventually. God will never fail you. This is what perfect love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Imagine someone who does this perfectly all the time. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I want to read from John 15, just four verses. John 15, starting in verse 12, Jesus is talking. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do, you call, do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You say, Nick, this is an Easter message. Isn't this Easter? Am I in the wrong place? It's supposed to be about his resurrection, right? Let me say this. The celebration of Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate sign of God's love for us. It's the ultimate proof that he loves us. Remember, remember last week, yeah, it was last week, Tim's message. He asked a few questions, and when I was standing in the back of the room and he asked these questions, I looked and a lot of hands went up when he asked these questions. I'm going to ask him again. You don't have to put your hands up, but you answer these honestly and truthfully inside of you. He asked a few questions. He said, how many have felt like there is no one on earth that can help you? How many have felt like there is no one on earth that can help you and God is nowhere, that God is not there for you? How many of you have asked God where he is and why he's not there? And you've cried out, my God, my God. And you say my God because you know in your head, this God that I call God, he's supposed to answer me. But he's just not. And you cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried that out on the cross at the moment that all of my sins, past, present, and future, and all of your sins, past, present, and future, were taken off of you, literally separated from you as far as the east is from the west, and put on Jesus on the cross. I'm telling you. The worst agony that Jesus suffered on the cross was not the crown of thorns. You see this thing? Just so you know, these came from Bob Short's land. Okay? So don't go there. Carlisle is a desolate place. <laughs> Do you see these things? Bob told me he put that on his head. Did it draw blood? Dude, I was expecting you to say yes for the sense of the story. I'm just kidding. But it was what? It was painful. He just placed it on top of his head. It was painful. They put that thing on Jesus' head and beat it down on his head. But guess what? The pain and the agony of the physical part of dying on the cross was not the worst part for Jesus. The worst part was the moment that he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because all of our sin was placed on top of him. And at that moment, the perfection and the holiness of God the Father said, I cannot look upon you, my own son. And he turned his back on Jesus. That was the most wrenching and hurtful part of all of this to Jesus. And yet somehow the joy and the love for me held him 
on the cross. But here's the deal. That's not the end of the story. If Jesus had stayed dead, 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, then you are still in your sins, and your faith in God is worthless. You might as well, and it actually says you are to be pitied above all men, above all people. You might as well go eat, drink, do whatever you want, crave all the things that this world can give you, because this is as good as it's going to get. But guess what? For those of us who believe in Jesus and know without a shadow of a doubt that we're going to heaven, this is as bad as it's going to get. Without the resurrection, God's love for us has no weight. It has no proof. The resurrection proves God's love. It seals the deal, and it says to you that even now, God will never leave you forsaken. He will never leave you alone. Your pain and your suffering and longing deep inside for love is not the end of the story. It doesn't have to be the whole of your existence. Heather asked me on Monday morning, she said, hey, give me the details of what you're speaking on on Sunday. And so I did, and the next morning she woke up and she gave me some verses. Now remember, this is the invitation to love. So she sat down and she read what I just read to you from John 14. She read these words. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And right in the margin next to that, she had written the words, you're invited. You know when she wrote those words? 14 years ago in her Bible. I was like, boom! The Spirit is still the same as he was back then as he is today. Because he prepared Heather's Bible to give me confidence that this is what y'all needed to hear this morning by saying you're invited. What are you invited to? This greater love has no one than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. If God defines it, it is true. So there is no greater love than could ever fulfill the whole and the longing in your heart than the love of God. Manifest through the death of Jesus and sealed by the fact that when he rose from the grave, he defeated death and he defeated Satan. I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. It depicts this pretty well. When, when Jesus says, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit, and he dies, and the whole earth goes dark, and it shakes, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. It pictures for a second Satan screaming in agony. Because guess what? In that moment, he lost the war. He lost the war for your soul. <laughs> and Jesus sealed it with his resurrection from the grave. So you are invited this morning to his love. To the abundant life that he has to offer. To freedom. The Bible says nothing else in all creation can separate you from that love. What also is true is that nothing in all creation can fulfill you like his love. So the band is going to come back up. We're going to take communion. But I want everybody right now to take this invitation to love, this everyone, everyone in the room, everyone in the building, take this invitation to love. Nobody's too cool for school to do this. All right? Take this invitation There's two kinds of people in the room. There's people that have come to Jesus for salvation and have received that love, that free gift of love for salvation, and there's people who haven't. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that even in, even in my daily sin, I say, Heather and I say, that I am a saint who sins. Because that's who God made me. At my core, at my identity, I, my identity is that I am a child of God now. 
because I have received the love of Jesus on the cross to take away my sins. You are invited to that love this morning. And when you're given an invitation, it calls for some action. You can't be here. You can't be here and deny the fact that you've been told there is a love greater than anything that you could ever imagine, and it is available to you. And salvation, eternity in heaven comes from you receiving that love. So I want you to take your card. The first one says to the unbeliever, you are invited to believe and accept the invitation of love for eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that I come to Jesus and say there is a hole in my heart. I am stuck in my sin. And I know that if I stay stuck in my sin, I'm not bound for heaven and I'm not bound for freedom. I'm bound for death and I'm bound for hell. But Jesus, I want your freedom. I know I can't get it by myself. I want you, Jesus, to save me. If that's you this morning, I want you to circle that on this invitation. I want you to circle that whole part to the unbeliever. If that's you and you want that this morning, if you want that this morning, that's between you and God and you come to God during these next few songs and you accept his invitation to love, right? That transfers you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's what the Bible says. I love that. And they throw a party in heaven when that happens. But some of you are in the room and you've already accepted this invitation to love, but you're living your life not loved. You're not living loved. And if you're not living loved, you're not able to love other people. You haven't fully immersed yourself in the fact that there's nothing you could do to be outside of God's love, to be outside of the freedom that he has to offer you. So to the believer, you are invited to recommit yourself to the perfect love of God because he first loved you. If that's you this morning, I want you to circle that part on this invitation. And then for everyone, I want you to write your name. If you, if you came and accepted the invitation of love on either of those points. To the unbeliever, to the believer, I want you to write your name there and the date. And I want you to keep this card somewhere where you're going to see it a lot. If you don't have a pen or pencil, there should be one in front of you, in the, under the seat in front of you. But we're going to take communion now. Jesus gave us the bread and the juice. And he said to his disciples, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So if you this morning have accepted Jesus' invitation to love and you believe, there's two tables up here, there's one in the back, and there's one all the way in the back. Come up to one of these tables. If you don't know if this is what you want, if you have not accepted the invitation to love, observe this. Observe this and think about the fact that the only thing that is going to fulfill your need for love and for salvation is Jesus Christ. Nothing else on this earth will fulfill that need. It's going to be chaos. There's going to be people walking all over to these different tables. So don't worry about that. Nobody's looking at you. But I'm going to be standing in the back. My wife's going to join me in the back. The elders, after they come and take communion for themselves, they're going to trickle their way to the back. And if, if either of these is you this morning, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. There's no shame here. There's no shame in the shadow of the cross. Nothing's more powerful than the cross of Christ. We want to pray with you, and we want to know what's going on with you, because we want freedom in the name of Jesus for you. So let's pray. God, I received your invitation to love this morning. God, I will stop believing Satan's lies. And Jesus, I want to remember you right now, because you gave your life and joy for my salvation held you on the cross. Thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting us today to your love that will never, ever 
run out, that will never leave us, that will never forsake us. And the story is never over because you do not leave us forsaken. That's how much you love us. Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name. You came and broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains before we head out of here and uh, continue to celebrate Easter. I want to challenge you guys with something. Nick has challenged us to understand, to believe in God's love for us. So we live a life of those that are loved. It, it changes the way we live. You're loved. You wake up in the morning feeling a lot differently than those that feel alone. Those people that Nick talked about, the people that don't know love, that are only lonely, they don't understand what it's like to experience what love really is. And now when we live life, because we are loved, it changes how we live. And that's what I want to challenge you guys with, is that you go out of here and you live differently because you are loved. I, I said in an email to this band earlier this week, I said, you could be on a deserted island all by yourself and still have the greatest love that anyone could ever have because it's right there in your presence. Wouldn't matter if anyone else was around, you would still have the greatest love. And so live that way. And if you don't know what it is, if you don't, if you don't know the love of God, if you don't know if you believe in this story, then I pray this morning that you go find somebody, you talk to them about it, and you pray to God and you ask him to be your God. And maybe you've heard this over and over and over again, and you can't get yourself to the point where you can really wrap your heart around it. You leap out in faith, and you trust him. And so Nick will be in the back. When this is done, we're going to sing one more song, and we'll head out of here. But find somebody. Nick will be in the back. You go talk and pray with him. Anybody else, grab somebody. But we need to live lives like we truly are loved as great as we really, really are.